I'm very pleased that we can, uh, I can welcome Glenn Scrivener, who's going to speak to us today. Um, we're thrilled that he's come up all the way from Eastbourne on the train to be with us this lunchtime. Um, when he speaks, um, you will discover this Eastbourne is not his native land, and I'll leave you to discover where, where he is from. I'm going to read to us now, it's on the inside of the sheets, a section from the Bible. And before I do that, I'll ask for God's help as we look at it mm-hmm. together. Father, thank you for the time we've got together now. Thank you for the chance to uh, break for lunch. Thank you for your precious words. Help us to be attentive to them and to benefit from listening. Amen. Amen. So let me read Matthew chapter 3 from verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt round his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized... Immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And Glenn's going to come and speak to us now. Am I on? Am I on? Ish? Yes? Yeah, I think we are. Good, good to see you, everybody. Um, we're asking this question, what should we do with our failures? What should we do with our failures? And as I begin to speak, you might uh, think that I have a bit of an accent. Um, of course, you'd be wrong. You've got the accent. I speak perfectly normally. Um, I grew up in Australia, uh, but uh, it's been wonderful this summer. Uh, this summer, as an Australian... Uh, 
I haven't had to subscribe to any internet services to update me on the sports scores. Like, all my English friends have been very happy to let me know the rugby scores, very, very happy to let me know the cricket scores, every single Australian wicket that's fallen. Uh, my English friends have gotten in touch, and, uh, and they've gotten in touch in a fairly galling way. You see, uh, my English friends, they don't just say, uh, England beat Australia. No, 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 they don't say that. What do they say? They say, we beat you. Yeah? we beat you, which I find particularly galling, because although my friends might wear, you know, the Welsh, the, the Welsh Lions uh, rugby, <laughs> rugby tops, well, it was, there were 10 out of 15 were Welsh, weren't they? Uh, the, the, the Lions rugby tops, even though they wear the rugby tops, uh, I don't think they made the cut for the final 15. Uh, I don't think they were there in Sydney kicking uh, the, the Lions to victory. I didn't see them bowling England to victory in, in Chester Street, and yet, when England beats Australia, they say, we beat you. Why do we do that? Well, I guess it's, it's a truth about our champions, isn't it? Uh, when our champions win, we celebrate. Though we haven't contributed a, a calorie of effort to the victory, still, they win, and we jump up and down as though we'd scored the winning goal. It's a truth about champions. I guess it's a, a kind of a vicarious victory. And uh, I've been experiencing, as an Australian this summer, vicarious defeat, which has made me quite down in the dumps. Uh, what do we do with that kind of failure? Well, um, if you're a football team, there's something you can do in order to, uh, to handle your failures. And uh, it's the myth of the one man. The transfer market is built on the myth of the one man. Here's the myth of the one man. The myth of the one man is that somewhere out there, your scouts are going to find a player who has the golden boots. And he's going to come into your team and he is going to turn everything around. He's going to turn... The failure into complete victory. He's going to score all your goals for you, win all your games for you, and even though you're a third division club, no, he's going to win every single game, get through all the rounds of the FA Cup, he's going to score the winner at Wembley. And just imagine if this myth, myth was true. Just imagine that you've always supported this one man. You've always thought, he's the guy. He's the one who's going to turn it around for us. And imagine you're there at Wembley and he scores the winner and you're jumping up and down, pandemonium, you're, you're jumping and hugging people who wear the same colour top as you because you wear the same colour top as that guy and that guy's just won it for you. And then that, that guy comes to the sideline and he does that thing that footballers kind of do to say, it's for you, it's for you. And because he wins, you celebrate, though you haven't contributed a calorie of effort. Why do I say that? Well, I think that's one of the best ways I know of describing how Christians feel about Jesus. Here's how Christians feel about Jesus. We are part of Team Earth, and we're not doing very well. Okay? We're caught up in all kinds of failures. We're going to see from our passage the kind of failures that you and I are caught up in. But who is Jesus? Jesus is the one, the one man who comes into our team, who wears our colors. And we'll see how in, in baptism... One of the things that he's doing in baptism is he's, he's wearing our colors. He's putting on the, the, the team outfit of, of Team Earth. And he does life for us. He lives the perfect life for us. He dies the condemned death for us on the cross. He rises up again over death, you know, defeating that final enemy death that, that, that so defeats us. He defeats that and he comes to us and he says, it's for you. It's for you. My victory is your victory because I am your champion. We're thinking today about what we do, what we do with our failures. And perhaps the, the, the place to go is this scene of baptism. It's, it's written for you in your service sheets. 
And what we see uh, in, in this uh, time of baptism is, what we see is the one man coming into our team to turn things around. And what he's going to do is, he's going to enter into our failures so he can invite us into his family. Okay, that's where we're heading. The one man, our champion, Jesus Christ, comes into our failures to invite us into his family. Well, from verses uh, 1 to 4, we're, we're introduced to this guy called John the Baptist. John the Baptist was this wild and woolly prophet who was uh, actually predicted back in the Old Testament. Uh, both Isaiah and Malachi predict this, this one who would come to, verse 3, to prepare the way of the Lord, to make his paths straight. That's what John's job is. John's job is to prepare the way for Jesus. But here, Jesus is called the Lord. And if you had read this in, in the Old Testament, you would, you would see that it was spelt capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, the Lord. You know, God our maker, God our judge, he is the one who is coming. And John says in verse 3, uh, prepare the way, straighten yourselves out. And so this is what people do. People come to the Jordan River where John is and they confess to their failures. I wonder what we do with our failures. What do we do with our failures? Today is uh, A-level results day and uh, there'll be all sorts of people today who feel like total failures because they didn't quite get the grades that they were looking for. There will be some people who feel complete successes because they did get those grades. I wonder if, if you did A-levels, can you think back to this day when you were 18 years old? It's interesting, isn't it? When I think back to that day, I think back with great sort of condescension. I sort of look back on my 18-year-old self and think, oh, Glenn, you, you thought this was so important. Of course it wasn't important. You know, we all know, I'm sure there's people in this room who didn't get the grades when they were 18, and now they're doing the dream job. They're doing, they've got the dream life. And there are other people who did get their dream results, and yet life has not worked out for them. We know that now, because we've got hindsight. And so we kind of look back on that time with condescension, and we, we look back on our teenage self and say, ah, oh, teenage self, you were, you were worried about nothing. Life turns out okay. But of course, I, I wonder if in 10, 20, 30 years, we'll look back on ourselves today, <laughs> with condescension, and think, oh, Glenn, you were so worried about this, that, and the other. You didn't realize that it didn't really matter, that actually God had a plan that was much bigger than your tiny little plans. I wonder, I wonder if, if the condescension with which we look back on our 18-year-old selves, actually one day we'll look back on ourselves today, and we'll get a bit of perspective. Because failure and success depends on your, uh, depends on your, your perspective, doesn't it? Uh, there's that saying... Uh, a failure is just someone who is really successful at things that don't matter. Yeah? You can be really, really successful at things that are of no importance, and that makes you a total failure, doesn't it? I mean, if I took you on Angry Birds later on this afternoon, I would win. I would. I would defeat you. There's, there's, no, there's no chance. You, you, you couldn't come back at me on Angry Birds. You know? I, I am the, the king of Angry Birds. What does that mean about me? Absolutely nothing, does it? It means absolutely nothing. Who cares? Who cares? If you're a great success at things that don't matter, you're a total failure, aren't you? Total failure. No one on their deathbed wishes they'd spend more t spent more time playing games on their phone, do they? What really matters is what defines what success really is. So do we think of ourselves as a, as a success or as a failure? In terms of the Bible, the Bible says, Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, all things have been made by Jesus and for Jesus. 
That's what the Bible says. All things have been made by Jesus and for Jesus. We live in his world. And then the question becomes, are we for Jesus? Are we for him? Because if we're not for him, we might be successful in all sorts of things that ultimately, eternally, turn out not to matter at all. We might be successful in our careers. We might be successful in family life. And yet, if we're not for Jesus, we're going against the grain of the universe. All things are for Jesus. Are we for Jesus? That's what the Bible would uh, encourage us to think about in terms of success or failure. So let's, let's think about, am I a success or a failure when judged by the things that really matter? These people who show up to the Jordan River to be baptized, they concluded that they were failures. Let's see if their verdict about themselves was deserved. We'll see three things they concluded about themselves. They concluded that they were unsettled, unclean, and unfruitful. Let's think about that first thing. They, they thought that they were unsettled. Uh, we get that because uh, the Jordan River was this border for the promised land. Okay? If you were going to live in the promised land, you had to cross over the Jordan River to live in Canaan the promised land. Uh, you might uh, recognize the, the hymn, you know, bread of heaven, bread of heaven, feed me now and evermore. Um, there's that line, land me safe on Canaan's side. I've forgotten how the tune goes at that point. But anyway, land me safe on Canaan's side. Because what you want to be, you want to be on the right side of the Jordan River to be in God's presence. And what happens here is uh, verses 5 and 6 Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him, by John, in the, Jordan, in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Here are people who live on the right side of the Jordan River. But what they do is they kind of come out of Israel and they want to go back in again and do it properly. What they're saying is, physically, I live in God's place. Spiritually, I am not at home with God. I'm spiritually unsettled. I don't have my roots in God. Is that something that, that you can relate to? Um, the Bible says we, we live in God, we move in God, we have our being in God. Where this is God's world. Do we feel like we are at home with God? Or do we feel spiritually unsettled? I know many times in my life I've, I've sort of prayed and it's just felt like the, the prayers bounce off the ceiling. I felt that disconnection, that alienation from God. That's a fairly serious thing, isn't it? If this is God's world and we live in God's world, but we're not at home with the God who made it, all things are made for Jesus and by Jesus, and, and yet we are not for Jesus. Do we feel that unsettledness? Do we, do we feel that disconnection? These guys feel that unsettledness, that disconnection, and so they come to the Jordan River to be baptized. They also feel unclean, and we get that from verse 6, because uh, they were baptized by John in the Jordan River. Baptism is a word that just means a washing. It's a washing, a ritual washing. And these guys were saying, listen, I, I'm not just stained on the outside, there's a stain to my soul. Yeah, I'm not, I don't just need a, a bath on the outside, I need, a, I need a bath on the inside. Is that something that you can relate to? It's something I can relate to very, very strongly. There have been many points in my life when I've just wished I could have a shower on the inside. That's what these guys want, a shower on the inside, to get clean in a way that really matters. So they come. They come to the Jordan River. They come confessing that they are unsettled. They come confessing that they are unclean. 
and they come confessing that they are unfruitful. Unfruitful. Uh, All throughout verses 7 to 12, there's all sorts of language of tree and fruit going on. So uh, verse 8, John says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Uh, Verse 10 says, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. It's this, it's this sense that the human race is like a tree that's been cut down, cut off, estranged. Perhaps think of it like a, like a Christmas tree. What do we do at Christmas time? At some point in December, uh, somebody goes into a pine forest and in the name of Christmas joy, they take a, an axe and they hack the pine tree to death. They wrench it from its natural habitat, and at that minute, the tree is dead, isn't it? You know, botanically speaking, that tree is dead. From the minute that it's been severed from its life source, that tree is dead, and it's perishing. starts to go a bit brown, starts to lose its needles. But never mind, we bring it inside, don't we? And what do we do? We dress it up. We dress it up in all sorts of decorations and, and, and make it look really, really nice, okay? The Bible says that, that's kind of like what the human race is like. In the beginning, there was not unsettledness with God. In the beginning, we were at home with God. But then there's been this fall, there's been this this wrench, there's been this death, if you like. We've been alienated from God. And from that moment onwards, the, the human race has not had any spiritual life in it. Spiritually speaking, the human race has been dead. And perishing, that's a really big Bible word. All throughout the Bible, it talks about how we're all perishing. And we know it, don't we? We know it physically. We know how physically we are perishing, decaying, getting less and less vitality to us. We all know about that. But but also spiritually, we're perishing because we're disconnected from the life source. And when we're disconnected from the life source, we, we live unfruitful lives. There are many things that we can do that are wonderful, that are great, that are loving, But there's also so many things, so much fruit in our lives that actually ends up being so poisonous. I know in my own life, you know, I I can say a loving thing to my wife and almost in the next breath, I can be so cutting and cruel and harsh. (coughs) The same tongue says one thing and, and says the other thing. Sometimes good fruit, sometimes bad fruit just comes out. Can you relate? I think, I think you can relate. I think we're all related according to the Bible. We're all related in this human family that has these human characteristics. We're unsettled, we're unclean, we're unfruitful. What should we do about it? What should we do about those failures? Because these failures really matter. You know, not getting your A-level results doesn't matter anything compared to this. Things that happen in your workplace don't matter anything in comparison to this. Because John says, the Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. And, And to the Lord, these things matter. So how are we going about this? I think these things, they, they condemn me as a failure, a spiritual failure at the things that really matter. What do these guys do about it? Well, they essentially, they, they go to the failures convention. They get baptized. That's, that's kind of what the baptism is. It's, it's, it's the failures convention. And they come along and they, they put their hand up and they jump in the water and they say, yep, we are failures. We're spiritually unclean and unsettled and unfruitful. What happens next, though, turns everything around. This is, this is the failure of Team Earth, right? But then the one man is going to come in. The one man's going to come in and turn it all around. Verse 13, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John 
to be baptized by him. Now, this should really shock us, okay? Here we have the one man who's going to turn it all around. And he comes, here's the Lord, he is the Lord, he is the judge, the maker of all things. He comes to the failures convention. Everyone says they're a failure. What's going to happen? Is he going to come and judge them? No, incredibly, he comes to join them. He comes to be baptized by John. You know what this is, don't you? This, this is a PR disaster for Team Jesus, isn't it? Isn't this a marketing nightmare? Here is the perfect, pure Son of God, comes to the front of the queue of the Failures Convention. He jumps in the water alongside all the other failures. What's he doing? Well, he's joining us in our failure so he can invite us into his family. Joining us in our failures to invite us into his family. What's his family? Well, verses 16 and 17. Here's the family Jesus wants to invite all us failures into. And when Jesus, the Son of God, was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven, the voice of God the Father, said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Here is the ultimate family. The Father who loves his Son and pours out his Spirit onto his Son. That's the ultimate family, according to the Bible. You know, theologians call it the doctrine of the Trinity. Let's just call it the family, okay? The ultimate family. Before the world began, this father was pouring out his love and blessing and spirit onto this son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then this son, this beloved son, comes into all our, all our failures, and he says to you and me, in all our failures, belong to me, belong to me, and I will bring you into that ultimate family. I don't know what your favorite moment from the, uh, the Olympics was last year, but um, as an Australian, I didn't really have very many favorite moments. Uh, we didn't do very well at all. Actually, my favorite moment was, uh, was uh, a South African called Chad Leclerc, who was a swimmer who uh, swam the butterfly. And perhaps you remember, Chad Leclerc won the 200-meter butterfly, got the gold medal. He beat his childhood hero, Michael Phelps. He got the world record. There's pandemonium in the pool. And perhaps you remember Claire Balding picks up a microphone and she finds uh, Chad Leclerc's dad, Bert Leclerc. And Bert Leclerc is this wonderful, gruff South African guy with a big beard belly and a beard. And, uh, and she goes up and she tries to conduct a normal interview with uh, Bert Leclerc. Have, have you seen this on YouTube? It, it went viral on YouTube. And she's asking normal questions like, you know, has Chad always been into butterfly and has that always been his stroke? All this father can do is say, he's unbelievable, he's unbelievable, look at him, look at him, I love him, mwah, mwah. And then he, then he catches himself, uh, he, he says, is this live? And then she says, yeah, it's live. And then and he sees himself on the, on the monitor, he says, oh, I'm fat, I'm fat, but not him, he's beautiful. He blows kisses to him. He says the word unbelievable about his son nine times in 90 seconds, which is unbelievable, isn't it? This proud father loving his son, just brimful of praise for his boy. Yeah, wouldn't you love, wouldn't you love to be Bert Leclerc's son? Yeah, all that, all, all that praise and, and pride and love being poured out. The Bible says there is an ultimate father who has an ultimate love for his ultimate son. And you and I, uh, we're invited. We're invited into this family to belong to this son. All we need to do, come to this son, put our hand into this son. And he says, guess what? Now you're with me, I'm your brother. And you've got my father as your father. 
You've got my spirit as your spirit. And you've got my victory as your victory. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. He enters into our failures to invite us into his family. Well, you might want to ask me some questions about that in a second. Uh, I'll give you a fair warning about that. But I'm just going to pray for us. And then if you have any, any, any questions for the last couple of minutes, you can ask a, a question or two. Let's just pray. Our Father, we thank you so much that you are our Father and that in Jesus we can come before you and know your love. I pray that each and every one of us would face up to our failures, would admit them, and would know our champion Jesus and everything he has brought us into. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.